Welcome to the Become Inspired podcast by Life on Time. This is the second series of the Become Inspired podcast, where our aim will remain much the same as the first, giving teachers, parents and students helpful hints and tips to live a fulfilled and meaningful life. We will be speaking to a range of guests from nutrition and psychology to people who are living extraordinary lives and have inspiring stories to share. Hi, and welcome to the Life on Time Become Inspired podcast. Uh, Today we have uh, Emma Hendricks with us. Emma is a nutritionist uh, with a bit of a twist because she's soon to become a doctor of psychology uh, so i guess that's a psychologist isn't it emma yes it would yes. be a health psychologist i think it's um because i've only just been accepted on the doctorate it's still going to take me a few years but definitely excited about that journey and getting there yeah i mean yeah this is why we got you on because i think um we i think it's quite easy to be able to go and find advice online now about what we should be eating and what we shouldn't be eating but i think the yeah. relationship with food and psychology is is really the key factor um and a crucial factor in how we are and how we act and um how we eat um so yeah so it's just really good to get to get emma on uh, with her sort of expertise within nutrition and psychology um i guess first off really how are you and also, just to find out a little bit about you and your journey to where you where you've got to, because I just think it's a really interesting journey that you that you've been on. Well, thank you, and you know, thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. Um, I suppose so. I've always been interested in health and nutrition, and I've had um, various sort of health complications myself, um, and had periods where I've had jobs which are quite stressful, and I haven't necessarily been eating. Um, as would be helpful for my particular body Um, and that put me on a path to exploring nutrition and and actually when I started my qualification my plan was just to do it out of interest rather than actually qualify as a practitioner which I think is the ambition of lots of other practitioners Um, so for me nutrition was always kind of a personal interest and then I just really fell in love with it but like you said at the beginning For me, the most interesting part of it is really about what does our relationship with food look like? So not necessarily what should we be putting in our bodies, but actually how should we be doing that? What should we, what portion should we be eating and and in what environment should we be eating? Because that really makes a difference to our overall well-being. So that's why I then decided to do further training and I've trained in counselling and I'm a master practitioner in eating disorders for the National Centre for Eating Disorders. Um, And I've just finished a health psychology master's and now going to do the doctorate. So I suppose it's it's a long journey. But for me, there is a really kind of beautiful marriage between the psychology and the behavioural side, but also what we put in our bodies ultimately. Yeah, when, I guess when we relate that to the current situation that everybody finds themselves in the middle of a pandemic, um, yeah. lots of lots of stress for lots of different reasons for lots of different people. Um, 
I think there's a few people that maybe aren't stressed and are finding it okay, but mm. I think the majority of people probably are having slightly different routines. So that's a change in eating routines and I guess general day-to-day routines. Um, what what are you finding out there? I mean, with your clinic, uh, you run the eating clinic. Um, mm. I just I just wondered how you were finding things out there. I know you obviously can't talk about individual clients, but just, you know, what are you finding out there from a result of the pandemic? Well, I mean, I suppose what my finding professionally is is kind of mirrored in some of the emerging literature. And the, the literature talks about that people are experiencing psychological distress of varying degrees, stress, like you said, um, even things like anxiety and depression. And what I've noticed in my clinic, which focuses on disordered eating, is that the pandemic has really exacerbated some of those symptoms for people. So, for example, if you're a restrictive eater and you use that to manage your stress and um, is part of, you know, who you are at the moment, then that can be exacerbated if you're, say, living in a single person household. So you don't necessarily have to perform potentially for other people by eating a certain way um, and hiding that you're restricting. So I think it's maybe exacerbated certain people's symptoms. And from a binging perspective, that's another way potentially people could, um, another method that people could use to manage their well-being and their stress in, in times of uncertainty such as this. So that's what I've been experiencing as a practitioner in my clinic. Um, and it, it has meant that we've all had to go online and I previously worked face to face. So that's been quite a big adjustment for myself and my clients. Um, one that they've taken quite well to. Um, but nevertheless, there's a slightly different need for a different types of support. Um, and I have noticed that as a practitioner that the support requirements for people have gone up during this time. So it is a difficult time. And like you said, for many of us, you know, it, we've had changes in routine and that can impact on our eating, but it can also impact on our other things that we do for our well-being every day. So it could impact on our sleep patterns, our movement. So if we're not going to the office or to school or college, then we're not necessarily moving around as much as we would. And that could then impact on eating as well. So I think it all together they all impact on each other if that makes sense yeah, and that's how yeah, i see yeah. it yeah and I, and I see that i mean i see it from my own my own perspective personally that you know i'm if i'm more stressed then i'm probably going to sleep less um which yeah. then if i sleep less then i'm going to wake i'm going to try and eat different types of food possibly the foods that aren't going to help me um sleep so it's almost like a mm. you end up creating almost a vicious circle for yourself or you end up might might end up going for uh, more alcohol than you would normally, which would then obviously affect your sleep. So there's lots of different things, and I guess there there isn't no there is no magic answer to it. But mm. what what are you advising uh, your clients, and what could maybe advise some of our listeners who, I mean, we've hopefully got some teachers that listen uh, listen in, mm. um, and just reading some press today from head teachers what they're going through at the moment. Mm. You know, huge amounts of stress. What um, is there anything that you can advise that maybe that you're advising people that are coming to you that, that they can do with, you know, the way they're fueling their bodies and dealing, coping with the routines that they've got? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, inevitably the first caveat would be that everyone has 
everyone's physiology and how they are in a bio biochemical perspective is very individual um yeah. so i would never be able to kind of do a mass recommendation but nevertheless there's there's some key things um that i'm seeing in my clinic and i think one of them is around like, forgiving ourselves a little bit that we've had massive disruption there's lots of stress people do use food um, as a coping mechanism at least that's what I see with my clients and what we do in my clinic is we build other alternatives that might be more helpful for those individuals to help to manage their emotional well-being right um, but I think so forgiving ourselves that if we have food that we wouldn't necessarily normally have then it's okay and I think that's maybe that's where I differ from other nutrition professionals. Not that they would say it wasn't OK, but I'm in my clinic. What I try to sort of tell my clients is there's no good or bad food. It's just about the amounts that you have. And what we try to do is build in the foods that are going to be most supportive for what they're trying to work towards. So, for example, it might be useful for us to try to focus on the foods that are what we would call whole food. So. They're the foods that are as they appear in nature. So they're the fruits, the vegetables, the proteins, um, the fats in the form of things like oily fish. And they don't have any processing. Um, they don't come in a packet generally um, so and don't have an ingredients list. And those are the ones that are helpful for our bodies and for various reasons. Um, one is that they are tend to be higher in soluble fibre. So things like fruit, vegetables, beans, lentils, brown rice are higher in fibre. And that's that can be really helpful um, in terms of our cardiovascular health. Um, and also, if we think about fruits and veg, then um, we're going to be eating quite a lot of antioxidants. And that's that's helpful to the whole our whole body, including our immune system. So I think what I would say is, you know, be gentle with yourselves because it's a really unusual time. So if you're having a Mars bar or a donut, then it's okay. But at the you, same time... You've just time... made me feel so much better because I, uh, <laughs> I went to the fridge earlier and grabbed myself some M&M peanuts, uh, chocolate-coated peanuts, actually. They're very nice. But yeah, I, I, just from your first point there, I just think it's really important from my perspective as well is that yeah, if you're coming from a really stressed environment... And yeah. then you're coming back and you're feeling really stressed that you've got to eat a certain type of food. Yeah. I think that you've got to give yourself a bit of a break, haven't you? Yeah. And I think so, you know, the chocolate covered peanuts, I mean, did, were they enjoyable? Because I they think they were that, enjoyable. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the most <laughs> important things. Sometimes it's not necessarily what we eat. So, for example, you could have a client who's or an individual who's incredibly restrictive. So they only eat certain types of food and they're very stressed about it. They think about food all the time. It monopolizes their life. And you compare that to someone who generally, you know, eats what they consider to be quite a balanced diet. And when they have things like the chocolate covered peanuts, they really enjoy them. And I think that's important because any kind of stress around our food is added stress, isn't it? At the time when we really don't want any more stress. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, there is definitely something to be said for food enjoyment. And as a nutrition practitioner, I don't eat what would be constant, what would constitute a, a perfect diet. I think, um, you know, I eat for sometimes I eat for enjoyment. Other times, mostly I try to fuel my body in, in the best way. And then if I have a day where I think, do you know what, actually, I really haven't had enough greens today, then I'll try to balance that out. But I don't give myself a hard time about it. And I think 
that's quite important when we're looking at nutrition. And in my experience, when thinking about the behavior change side of things, I think it needs to be a positive experience for people if they decide to go and see a nutritionist or change their diet and they feel very stressed about it. Then I don't think that's going to be very positive in my personal and professional opinion anyway. Yeah, no, and I think um, the the eighty twenty rule is probably quite a good thing to work off. So rather than thinking that you know you've got to eat one hundred percent perfectly, yeah. it's, uh, you, you are. I think you've got to allow yourself, especially in this um, current climate, that you know you've got to allow yourself some type of treat. And I'm I'm saying that because I I, I think I don't think I could cope in this current time mm. without having that. You know, so if I was told if somebody told me I've got to eat whole grain food and fruit and vegetables 100% of the time I feel like that's almost like a, an impossibility maybe you could build up to that and yeah. if your life was a if you had a very relaxed life and didn't have any any types of stress then maybe you could so that's just a really important point and I think one that I would like to put on to listeners because I think sometimes you can listen to podcasts mm. and go away from them or listen to self-help things and go away thinking actually I'm more stressed after listening to this than I was when I when I first started because I've got more things I've got to try and do but I think actually if you just maybe look at part of your look at your diet as a whole um, and then maybe split it down but yeah I mean that sounds that sounds good advice yeah and I think as well if you know if you're kind of sitting there listening thinking oh but I all I eat is this or I'm struggling with this aspect of my health so that could be weight or stress or it could be digestive health. It could be anything, really. But I, I would say that it's the small changes that in over the long term and consistently make the big difference. So, right. you know, I, I do t- I do tend to find that with in my clinic, I think clients think, well, they have almost a, you know, the last meal before they come to see me because they think that I'm going to cut out all of their favorite foods. And actually, (laughs) that's that's certainly not what I do. But what I try to do is pack the diet with foods that might be helpful for them and increase variety, which is really important when we're thinking about nutrients like vitamins and minerals. Um, And certainly if they want to have some chocolate or whatever their favorite food might be, I would welcome that because actually for me, if I have someone who's subscribing to what I'm suggesting 100% of the time, that's almost more of a worry um, because it's not necessarily easy, especially to make those bigger changes. Um, and with, like you said, there's lots of advice out there and lots of it's contradictory, which can be just really stressful for people. So I think sometimes it's about going back to basics. And I kind of inherently believe that everyone knows what they should or what would be best to eat for their body. Um, because our body is very good at telling us when it doesn't really like something so you might get bloating or other symptoms for example Um, and actually often I find that clients start to build up a relationship with food in their body that they're the ones that are able to say but I tend to you know when I eat this for kale for example it does really give me bad cramps and I've never really noticed that before Um, And then they choose maybe to eat or not to eat um, because they know it's going to have an impact on some of their symptoms rather than it being about weight loss, for example, or overall health, because that's quite a big beast. It's very difficult to be specific. You need to be specific and define what our goals are. Um, So just being healthy isn't really specific enough for us to make changes, I think. And so so looking at you know the, we're going back to the whole foods and those and the, you know mm. I think it's quite easy to find online and 
from necessarily from what you're saying as well like whole foods things that aren't processed are obviously what you, we should be eating and we should be filling 80 percent of our diet up with those types of food well i i would say you know, I, I mean, the 80-20, I think, is really useful because it gives people a guide. Um, yeah. You might find that for certain people it's 90-10 or 70-30. It really just depends on, okay. on the individual. I think it's a good guide. Um, yeah. And what I would say is sort of going back to basics, um, eating the way that as food appears in nature. So like I said, sort of those fruits, vegetables, fish, meats, for example, and trying to trying to be mindful um but equally not beating ourselves up when we go outside of that and not creating food rules um that mean we have to subscribe to that does that make sense yeah that def definitely makes yeah. sense so so to the person that comes home from work uh let's say for example the teacher that comes home from school they've had a really tough day yeah um they don't want to have a beer necessarily and yeah. they don't want to eat uh they don't want to get a takeaway. They don't want to just get order a Domino's, but but they get home and they think, wow, I can't be bothered with this. What, what Have yeah. you got any magic, not a magic bullet because there is no such thing, but <laughs> yes. have you got any, have you got anything that you could say to somebody who's, you know, fighting that every day? Yeah. I mean, I suppose I can comment in terms of what works for me and some of my clients, but I find that um, it, it really helps to be prepared so if there is a time in our week when we know we can kind of sit down and decide, do a bit of a plan and not beat ourselves up if we don't follow it, but nevertheless, having a bit of a plan can be helpful. And even doing some batch cooking. Um, so, for example, you could make a sort of vegetable and meat chili con carne and then put some in the freezer. So, you know, that when you've got that late meeting on a Tuesday night, you've got something that's defrosting in the fridge ready for you to go rather than getting home and then having to make a decision because we have decision fatigue and the longer the the more time we spend making decisions the harder it then almost becomes so later on in the day it can be really difficult when we're very tired and hungry and we haven't really thought about what we're going to have for dinner so it might be useful to try if you can to think think of that in advance and I do that on a Sunday I sit down and decide roughly what I might have for dinners and I'm not prescriptive. I don't have to have it on a Tuesday, for example. But it, for yeah. me, it takes away that decision fatigue because I find it tiring having to make a decision, like sometimes what to have for dinner if I've had a really well, busy day. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, that just sounds such a good idea because I, I get the my timings uh, where I'm sort of weak is when, I do, when I'm sort of finished work and I think, well, I could yeah. have a beer now or I could have... I feel like I could eat some crisps or I could all the bad during the day I tend to be okay but it's normally when I'm finishing work and I guess it's when you're a bit more tired the blood sugar levels might be slightly mm -hmm. low so if you have a plan for what you're going to have instead of what you would normally have I guess it's gonna that's gonna help yeah and also to choose things that are easy and quick when it's going to be a night when it's a late night or you you anticipate being stressed I think is really helpful and then I suppose the other thing to say is about accessibility so there's lots of research that talks about so there's a particular study that's interesting and, and it was um, in, involved people in an office environment with cookies and they had an experiment where they put the cookies on someone's desk and then saw how much they consumed and they put them in the drawer and then they put them further away and then they put them even further away and what they showed is that the amount of cookies that were eaten was increased by the according to the distance so if it was right next to you you're more likely to reach and eat a cookie yeah. 
Um, and I think that's again goes back to that decision fatigue because you're sat there at a computer rejecting and saying, I'm not going to eat it, I'm not going to eat it, I'm not going to eat it. And eventually we get fatigues and give in. Um, and equally, the brain needs a lot of glucose and that's a quick way of getting it. So if we're having a slump um, in the in the afternoon, for example, then it might be easier. So what I would say is when we keep certain foods in the house, it's a lot easier to reach for them. So like the beer, for example, and it's not about saying not to have it, but when it's easily accessible, it is it is very easy to do it almost in a, oh, well, I'll start again tomorrow. And I think that's what I try to avoid with my clients is that if you want to have a beer, then absolutely have it. But if it's always there and it's always in your in your face, it's going to be harder to make a decision not to have it if you if you don't truly want to. Um, yeah. so that's, I think those two things would be, I find are quite effective, um, and quite quickly for people. But again, it's not about deprivation and that's the important thing. If you want to have a beer, then have a beer, but it's about that moderation element, isn't it? That we all talk about a lot of the time. If, you know, if you're having pints and pints of beer in the evening, then I would say that actually that's the point when it'd be good to go and seek some support and there's lots of support. So we're in Kent and Medway, aren't we? There's lots of support on the Kent and Medway councils um, around drinking yeah. and apps that can help you monitor just for for an example for that one and gives you some really good techniques and how to reduce or moderate your drinking. Um, but I think seeking support is helpful if people feel that they need it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think I think with food um, well, food and drink, um, there's lots of, you know, there's lots of things out there, lots of people out there who can help. And I think um, people like to think that they can cope with yeah. what's going on um and you know i'll be i'll be completely honest i I've, i um during lockdown when we were going through lockdown and i think everybody else there's a lot of other people that i was speaking to i wasn't drinking i wasn't binge drinking but i was drinking mm-hmm. more than what i would normally drink and i think it was just the fact that you know we were at, we were at home and the stress of everything um yeah i've i've actually got a, i've got a new tech i've got a different technique where i've moved the bidget i've moved the beer out of the fridge yeah. And I've replaced it with non-alcoholic beer. So I've actually done quite well there. I don't, it's a, I'm not now teetotal, but um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely helped. So, but yeah, I think um, we actually will probably put on the bottom of the show notes here some, maybe some help for anybody, if anybody does need any help or feel like they need some help. And I'll obviously put your details on here for anybody who's yeah. got some sort of uh, food disorders or food eating um, issues that they want uh, help with. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of non-alcoholic alternatives as well now. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I've tried a couple of gins, which um, are an acquired taste, maybe, but um, and they're they're fairly pleasant. So I think there are increasingly more alternatives. Um, so it's about trying to build in that variety, and also when you know having an alcoholic drink when you've had a, a good meal and you're hydrated is I don't see that there is a problem um, with that, and I might be <laughs> cut down for that maybe in my profession. <laughs> Um, but equally, if you're drinking pints and pints in the evening or very, you know, heavily or even moderately, really, I think and you, it'd be good to get help. And having an alcoholic drink and then a glass of water and then an alcoholic drink is a way that some people do it. Um, having alcohol free days and using non-alcohol based alternatives. But like you said, there's lots of help out there. Um, and I think it's it's good to download those types of apps anyway, just to see. What yeah, definitely. I remember. I remember scaring yeah. myself. To be fair, with one of those, uh, and 
there's a guy um i watched a, listened to another podcast no beer uh for a year oh, guy, yes. yeah um who was really inspirational to listen to and i recommend anybody who oh, is yeah. a what he classed as a middle lane drinker so um i think the age that i'm at i'm probably um i started off in that sort of era where drinking was you know was was said to be quite good you know you if you didn't drink you weren't really you weren't really at the party mm-hmm. so um yeah really interesting and he I mean he's teetotal now but I think there is a way of having a balance but it's obviously different for everybody I mean we have segued over here onto some alcohol we have, haven't we? <laughs> uh, but um that's that I think that you know I think it's quite common and I think uh this in this current climate and the pandemic I think people are being drawn to things that can relax them and I think alcohol yeah. is a very easy quick fix for that um and I think I personally think done in moderation is is absolutely fine but I think yeah if uh, if you feel like you're struggling I don't think when we say support you need to go to alcohol anonymous no, yeah. straight away we're so we're just we're just saying you know there's apps out there where you can actually just have a look at maybe work out what you're drinking a week and just see whether that's healthy for you yeah and I think it's um, good to it's good to use the tools that are free and online and are out there and there's some excellent ones and like you said it's not about people necessarily unless they feel they need to go into something like AA but it's good that that's there as well but it's about you know maybe some people have never questioned what they are drinking or how much they're drinking and equally they could be doing that with donuts or other for, other sorts of things they're consuming um, but I think sometimes um, you know we go to certain activities like drinking like eating a certain way distracting us and and numbing where we're at Um, and in a time of uncertainty that can be increasingly common so it's also about looking for other ways to make people feel relaxed I think and to feel more balanced and there's plenty of sort of opportunities to do that so going outside um, finding activities that you really enjoy and genuinely enjoy just to be very present in um, is really important as well and also thinking about gratitude and practicing gratitude there's lots of research on that and daily practicing of gratitude increase, increases people's mood and f- lowers their feeling of stress so um, and that doesn't have to be a big thing you can just have a little journal and say three things today I'm grateful for and it might sound a bit airy-fairy but there's plenty of research that talks from positive psychology that looks at the benefits of that um, so there's other ways I think of us relaxing um, and there and there is the psychologist in you uh, just yeah. out. The, 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 the almost <laughs> psychologist as well. well yeah no but no but it's very interesting because we've just done we just released a we've got another uh, podcast well-being series that um is a shorter versions and we've just done one on uh, morning questions and one of the morning questions is around uh, your is gratefulness um yeah. gratitude and i think yeah you're exactly right i think it just focuses your attention on 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 things that are actually positive rather than uh your mind automatically referring back to the the negative um and it's just very it's very powerful how food and how we think is so uh interconnected mm. and i think if soon as if people have just become if if people are out there and listening and aren't um have never really thought as food as part of how they are and how they feel i think just having that appreciation and mind being mindful of themselves that actually what you're eating is affecting how you feel yeah um and there's lots of studies out there that do that so um yeah and I that's suppose, all really interesting i suppose like when we think about it whatever we put in our body is then going to affect 
what our body's made up of isn't it so if you think about our mood you'd be thinking the chemicals neurotransmitters which are the brain chemicals um and they need to be made from something um so effectively what we're putting in our body is kind of supporting or not supporting um or somewhere in between um our emotional health um and that's what i'm interested in and i think you know there is a role for food in helping us balance where we are in terms of our headspace and our emotional well-being and it's really it can be really really powerful for people um but it's also about not beating ourselves up when we don't follow our program or we don't do the things that we are the most helpful for us it's about recognizing that we're climbing we could feel like we're climbing a mountain so a metaphor i use in my clinics with um, disordered eating clients i tend to talk about imagine you're cycling up a mountain on a bike and you fall off the the bike it doesn't mean you roll back to the bottom but it just means you kind of have to get up and go okay well what did i learn from that well i learned doing this wasn't particularly helpful what could i do differently okay well i'll change it and do this and then carry on so it's not you know, it's not kind of that all or nothing. Oh, I've just fallen off the wagon. It's more about going, yeah, I had a piece of cake, you know, like life's too short, like life's too short. And in the balance yeah, of things, definitely. you know, um, rather than, well, I've, I've done that. So I've given up and that's it. I might as well just carry on, I suppose. This- and would goals, goals be something that you would advocate for people to do yeah absolutely so So, yeah yeah, and then and actually so in my clinic i what we do is we collaboratively build a um health program for someone so then they're as involved as i am as a practitioner i'll guide them in terms of what i think might help their particular overall health goal but we also build in those mini goals and mini milestones and make them as much as possible very specific and measurable and time sensitive so you know the smart way of doing things um so that it feels like they've achieved something um rather than just the big goal we actually try to break it up into those bite-sized chunks that sounds yeah i mean that's the the life on time platform that we have for schools is is based around goal setting so i I was glad your answer to that was yes (laughs) (laughs) and i think you know in the research from a health psychology perspective goal setting is really powerful for people oh yeah definitely um and and also self-monitoring within that so um for example if we were to keep a a diary and again not to be worried or stressed about it but if we kept a diary of what we're eating or drinking it helps us doesn't it because it gives us some information about what we are actually doing because there's lots of studies that say that when we try to recall what we've eaten you know it's not as accurate as if we were just monitoring it as we go so that's something else that I use very fairly frequently in my clinics. And it's not just about me, me seeing what people are eating. It's actually for individuals to recognize patterns of behavior. Um, and if you can track that alongside your mood, it's really, really powerful and start to see where, you know, where things are triggered and what to do to intervene. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, it's an opportunity for reflection, isn't it, on, on and learn yourself you know what actually is good for me what makes me feel like this what yeah. makes me feel like that so okay I mean that's some really good information and, and I'm always aware I don't want to bombard people with too much information but if I just recap on some of the stuff that you've said just uh, obviously I think goal setting is obviously maybe one of the first things you may look at because I think you need to have a have an idea of where you're going um, and what you want to do but I think the other key thing is obviously not being too hard on yourself um, and 
you know, focusing on that actually you can have some, uh, let's say, not perfect food in your diet. Um, being prepared, which I guess comes down to the goal setting bit a little bit, where mm. you know you're having a strategy um, behind. Obviously, the times when you feel like when you come home and you may eat um, the wrong type of food, so having a plan for that. Um, and then I guess actually the type of food is whole foods, um, which I think research. It's fair. It's that's fairly common, and that's been out for a while, hasn't it? That you know, processed food is isn't necessarily good for us. Yeah, I guess it's just not as helpful um, for us, is what I would say. In that, you know, it's it's kind of it, it's likely to be to having some processing. It means it's likely to have gone through the process and adding chemicals and things. Um, but that's not to say it's a bad food. And and like I said, one of my kind of mantras in my clinic is there's no good or bad food. It's just about the amount. So if we were to have a pizza and we balanced it out with lots of other kind of whole foods, um, then it might be more helpful for us. Um, but equally, it's not about kind of getting stressed about it. And I suppose the other thing is that I notice as well in my clinic is protein. So that would classify as a whole food because I'm thinking sort of meats, um, fish, eggs, beans, pulses. Um, but actually people tend, at least in my clinic, not to have as much protein as in their diet as they need to. And we need to be having that three times a day with each meal and ideally a, a palm size portion of a steak, for example. And then that makes it quite individual to us. Um, yeah. And it's quite it's quite an important food that I think sometimes gets a bit neglected potentially. So, um, but yeah, I think you know I agree with what your summary <laughs> you're summing up there. So I like to I like to have a summary. So I mean that's just really really interesting. And I think that that that's that's actually helped me, and I think it would hopefully help a lot of our listeners out there. One one final topic which I think I'd like to cover with you t- today um, is around there's a bit of a media storm about vitamin d and yeah. sort of what what we're eating the t- eating type of food or supplements that could actually help us and our immunity not only going into the winter period where it might help us with normal colds and flu but actually covid19 now you know i i i have pre-warned you of this question because i didn't obviously want to throw this upon you but what's your feeling on supplements and immunity and the food that we can eat and you know the actual reality behind it yeah I mean well you know as with all of um, us within nutrition I think we've all been keeping a bit of a close eye um, when it comes to recommendations and different research and we always do anyway because we have to um, we commit to doing continued professional development Um, So I have had a look, in fact, recently, there was a paper, um, I think, published by Boston University Medical Centre that looked at vitamin D um, and it looked at severity of symptoms of COVID-19 and mortality. And I suppose what I would say is that um, there's no magic bullet. So, yeah, vitamin D is an important vitamin. It's important for bone health, immunity um, and in sort of viral conditions as well. Um, and the NICE guidelines in the UK recommend that people supplement with 10 micrograms of vitamin D a day. And as we, like you said, as we approach winter, there's less sunlight and sunlight hours. So it's likely that people will need to supplement. 
But I suppose, I mean, what I would say is that my general kind of feeling around supplements um, is that if we can get it from food, we should attempt to do our best to get it from food because a supplement is never going to be the same as a food or sunlight or something that's in nature. Um, you know, with some of the supplements, there's not necessarily the research. They would be on medicines, for example. So you may not even be absorbing certain nutrients that you're taking as a supplement. And I'm not saying people don't supplement. I'm just saying it's kind of, it's very personal to the individual. I think if you're worried about vitamin D, then see your GP, get a test, um, as with any nutrient or any nutrient possible deficiency. Um, so I think I'll probably sit on the fence. I know there's emerging evidence and I'm a massive supporter of different nutrients for health um, because it's what nature intends. But at the same time, lots of the studies around vitamin D at the moment anyway, they don't, they're cross-sectional in nature. So that means that they don't establish causality. So cause and effect. Uh, okay. um, so, so it could have, could have quite easily have come from sunlight or it could have quite easily come from something else. Well, yeah. I'm, I mean, so I think the study that's recently been published, they looked at individuals who were hospitalized, I, I think, um, and they looked at their vitamin D levels and they showed that lower vitamin D levels or deficiency level was linked to certain things in terms of COVID outcomes. But actually, there's also things like um, people's sort of socioeconomic group that they're in and, and other factors that could impact. So their smoking status. So for that study, I know that they did consider those things, but they didn't get a complete data set for them. So it, it could, there could be plenty of other reasons. I think so. Why they, why, why they, why they had less severe symptoms could have been due to them not smoking compared to them having higher levels of vitamin D. It could be, and and you know, vitamin D status may also be an indicator of peep, someone's nutritional status overall. It's just that we're only measuring vitamin D, and we don't know about the other nutrients that someone has, um, and their their nutritional status there. So I'm certainly not saying don't supplement or that vitamin D isn't important because it absolutely is, and the nice guidelines say supplementation of 10 uh, micrograms a day um, for individuals in the UK um, and that's because you know we have reduced sunlight but we can also get vitamin D from other sources so oily food. where where yeah where can we get vitamin D from yeah so we we could go to sort of salmon mackerel eggs liver um, and certain foods that are processed foods are fortified in vitamins so um, cereals for example um, so I, you know, I would say even though it's winter, if you can get out and even though it's cold and have bare arms or bare legs for a little while, then that gives you some exposure. Um, and otherwise, the NICE guidelines is pretty clear on the supplementation. Um, so I think when it comes to COVID, we're, we're all understandably looking for a way to support our health and reduce our risk. Um, so I would, but I would be, I, I'm reluctant to kind of go down the camp of one nutrient being protective fully and not thinking about all the other factors, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I, I, I had a freebie. I have a, I won't name the name, but I have a, uh, a food delivery that comes and it comes with all the food and all of the ingredients and it comes sometimes with some uh, freebies. And I just, and I had a vitamin D ginger, and turmeric shot okay. in like some orange juice. It was disgusting, <laughs> yeah. but 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 it was an it, it it was claiming that it was an immunity shot, and it's you know that's their marketing. So turmeric and ginger, 
What, what's your thoughts on them? I mean, you know, I suppose this, it comes back and it's always me sitting on the fence potentially, but I, what I would say is that, you know, food is, some foods might be more helpful for certain things and others might be helpful for others. And ginger and turmeric are really great. They're anti-inflammatory. Um, ginger, I think, supports the digestive system. Um, and I, I really like ginger. Um, so I eat it not because of its nutritional value, but I just really like the taste of it. Um, but again, you know, it's all of those things. It, does it look like it should in nature? Yes. Um, so is it going to be really bad for me? Um, well, I suppose it depends on who you are as an individual. But I would say that there's probably less risk with those kind of whole foods. But equally, if you were only eating turmeric and ginger, I have some concerns about that as well. Well, um, you'd have pretty weird taste buds if that's what you were going to eat. All yeah, day. it's quite strong turmeric, isn't it? Turmeric <laughs> roots. So, um, so yeah. But okay, so it's, a balanced diet is obviously great, but it's not necessarily within a balanced diet. If you were to have vitamin D supplement and maybe putting ginger and turmeric, did turmeric. you say turmeric? Turmeric. turmeric. Um, within your food, it's not going to harm you. No, I mean, it, it also, when we talk about supplements, there's obviously going to be safe levels. So I would always follow yeah. the kind of guidelines or sp speak to a nutritional practitioner to get some support. And also, if you can test for it and find out what your levels are, then that's helpful because then you know whether to focus it on, on it or not, rather than taking supplements without necessarily knowing what's going on in your body. Um, but I can't, unless you're eating only turmeric, um, and or only ginger, um, then I think it's the likelihood of it being harmful is I can't see that it would be. Yeah, and yeah, there's no. Uh, we're not going to come back and um, find you, Emma. We're just. I know. <laughs> a, uh, I'm offensive, yeah. aren't I? But... <laughs> you are. Yeah. The um, I think the. Yeah, I, I think that's really good advice. I think it's everybody is trying to find this magic bullet of if I eat this or drink this, yeah. it's going to stop me getting COVID. And I don't think, unfortunately, that that is out there. I think. Um, like you say, if we can get it naturally, get it naturally. I have actually got some vitamin D and I'm taking, I think, around what you just said, actually, per day, just because I've read some research and I think I don't yes. think it's going to harm me. And I don't probably have enough fish. So I don't know where else I'm going to get it from, especially with the darker nights setting in. So, yeah, um, that's that's all really interesting. I mean, have you got anything else that you uh, would like to say to any teachers out there, uh, parents? living in the current circumstances you know any other advice no I mean I, I I suppose I would um something that I quite like that one of my friends offered to me a long time ago and, and they're not a um a psychologist or a counsellor or anything um but they've struggled with stress certainly and mental health condition um and they said you know maybe reflect on where am I today where am I in this moment out of 10 so 10 is the worst I could be one is or no so 10 is the best I can be and one is the worst then what would it take for me to shift that by one to make an improvement so that could be calling a friend it could be doing some meditation it could be having a long bath it could be going and cuddling the cat or dog it, you know depends on who you are um is the answer to that question but I've always found that really quite nice because what it recognizes again is that it's the small changes um that will make a difference and what can we do right now what can we control right now and I think that can be really important given where we are with COVID and the pandemic yeah, I love that. That's that's a scaling, isn't it? It's a type of scaling, and it also almost a little bit of goal setting in there because you almost 
yeah. setting a strategy to try and get out of get get from position A to position B. So yeah, I, I thoroughly thoroughly yeah. uh, recommend our listeners to go away and do that. Yeah, and I like my numbers, so it works for me in my mind. Yeah, and it works for yeah. various um, of my numbers and my clients. So. Superb. Well, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, guys, um, if you want to get hold of Emma, um, she's she can help you with any nutritional needs. Uh, her contact details will be on the show notes on our website. Um, I don't know if you want to read that. Uh, shout out your number, uh, Emma. Give the website address. Oh, yeah. It's um, www.theeatingclinic.com. OK, cool. Brilliant. Thanks, Emma. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Become Inspired podcast by Life on Time. For more information, please visit our website at lifeontime.co.uk.